Section 21 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 68. Livry. Wednesday, October the 25th, 1679. I am here alone. I was loath to suffer any irksomeness but my own. No company tempts me to begin my winter so soon. If I chose it, I could assume an air of solitude. But after hearing Madame de Brissac say the other day that she was wholly engaged in her meditations and had rather too much of her own company, I am proud to boast that I have passed this whole afternoon in the meadow in conference with our sheep and cows. I have a store of good books, especially Montaigne. What could I desire more, since I cannot have you? I have the favour of your last letter at this place. You fancy I am at Paris sitting in the chimney corner, and have no doubt, sitting by your own, received my lamentations on the fatigue of your journey. What a dreadful thing it is to be at such a distance. It is impossible to be more astonished than I was to find you with Monsieur and Madame de Mem. I fancied you had been deceived, and that you would have received them at Livry. They write to me to express how much they are charmed at the reception you have given them. They are very desirous to see me, which is the strongest inducement for my returning so speedily. You were in the right to suppress Paulina's modesty. It will be worn out by the time she is fifteen. A premature and ill-timed modesty may have sad consequences. You were in jest to thank Corbinelli for the compliment he paid your good sense. He merely thinks you superior to others. And when he says so, he says what he thinks, and has no intention to flatter you. He would have said a word or two in my letter on the compliments you were pleased to make him, but this I intend to waive till my return. Monsieur and Madame de Rohan have not thought of making him a present out of the 2,500 pistoles they received at the Assembly of the States under the title of the Little Prince of Léon. Readers note it was Corbinelli who negotiated the marriage of Bard's daughter with the Prince of Léon before he became Duke de Rohan. Back to main text. Some people have a strange destiny. Corbinelli seems to be to hold in the most sovereign contempt what other folks prize in the highest degree. It is true, I was very much amused with his conversation and that of the Abbe de Peel. Would note the same, probably, who has made himself known by his works on painting. He studied in the Sorbonne. He afterward went to Italy with the younger Amlo, whom he educated. He was also employed in several negotiations. Back to main text. With his conversation and that of the Abbe de Peel, they agreed in many things 
though there were some of harder digestion which they seemed to chew upon. Monsieur de Rochefoucault calls this eating hot peas. I'm sure they had a good dish of them, but this forest is adapted for such things. The fat abbe has entered on his office of gazetteer, so you need be under no uneasiness about answers. He is better calculated for the office than I am. Your brother is a strange creature. He could not for the soul of him help spoiling all the wonders he performed at the Assembly of the States by an absurd fancy and a pretense of being in love perfectly ridiculous. The object is a Mademoiselle de la Coste, upward of thirty years of age, without fortune or beauty. And even her father says he is very sorry for it, and that it is by no means a fit match for Monsieur de Sévigné. He writes me so himself. I commend and thank him for his prudence. What do you suppose your brother has done since? He has never quitted his damsel, but has followed her to Rennes and Lower Brittany, where she has gone under pretense of visiting Tonquedec. He has almost turned her brain, and has put her out of conceit with the very proper match she had in some degree contracted. It is the talk of the whole province. Monsieur de Coulanges and all my friends in Brittany write to me about it, and are all persuaded he will certainly marry her. For my own part, I am convinced of the contrary. But I ask him why he so unnecessarily disgraces his poor head after such a promising commencement. Why he makes the lady reject an offer she now looks upon with the most sovereign contempt. And why this perfidy? If it is not perfidy, it will have some other name, since I am determined, let what will happen, never to sign the marriage contract. If he be really in love, so much the worse, for this is a source of the most extravagant actions. And as I think him incapable of that passion, I would scruple were I in his place thus wantonly to wound the repose and the fortune of one who can so easily dispense with. He is now at the rocks from whence he writes to me about this journey to Tonkidex. But not a syllable of his dulcinea or of this noble flame. Only in general terms a great many fine things and compliments without number. In short, it is an affair I leave entirely to the disposal of Providence. Letter 59 Paris, Friday, November the 10th, 1679 I am no longer a shepherdess, my poor child. I have left with regret my solitary conversation with your letters and your image, aided by Louison, of our cows and sheep and the twilight, which I embraced with eagerness, because I could neither spare nor flatter myself. I am now in the refinements of the Hôtel de Canavale, where I find I am not less occupied with you, that your letters are not less dear to me, 
or that anything in the world is capable of driving you from my thoughts. I shall have a little news to tell you. I know scarcely any at present, but what I hear comes from good authority and may be depended on. You assure me, my dearest child, you are perfectly well. God grant it be so. This is soon said. I wish you would not write me such long letters. I am certain they do you harm. Were it not for this consideration, you may believe I should be glad they were as long as possible. But this apprehension damps all the pleasure I receive from them. Duchenne told me the other day nothing could be worse for you than much writing. The time must come, my child, when you will write less, and when you are here, you must think of your health and your recovery. We will take care to put the Hôtel de Canavale in as good order as possible for you. The good abbe wishes this as much as I do. Pray, write me no more bad accounts of yourself, nor imagine that your letters are better than your conversation. I should be unworthy of your love were I capable of entertaining such a thought. I am convinced of your affection, and I have as much relish for your society as those who are most delighted with your conversation. Ah, did you know the power of a word, a look, a kind expression or a caress from you, and from what distant countries one of those things could bring me? You would be convinced, my beauty, that nothing is equal to your presence. The account of your devotion on All Saints' Day has affected me strangely. It was delightful to cram all your little ones into the same litter. Dear little party, had I been of your counsel, I should have given my vote for doing just as you did, as you will see by my advice to Paulina in the regular answer I have written her. Lovely child, it is impossible she can ever tire you. Enjoy, my love, all these little comforts, and instead of thinking of depriving yourself of them, think of the numberless evils of this mortal and transitory life. I finish this letter at Mademoiselle de Mary's, where I also close my packet. She is quite exhausted with the vapours and evacuations, and is incapable of writing a single syllable. She tells you by me all she would write to you if she were able. I have just been visiting that poor chevalier who keeps his bed with pains in his neck and hip. This rheumatic humour never leaves him. I have more compassion than other people for this disorder. I am of opinion his illness will not be of long continuance. He feels the serosities already beginning to dissipate. He wants a good pumping, if the season permitted it. He gave me his letter to enclose in my packet. These poor sick people must be taken care of. All the rest of Paris is ill of a cold. Il ne mourait pas tous, mais tous étaient frappés. They died, not all, though none escaped a wound.
as you used to say. Footnote, a verse of La Fontaine in his Fable of Les Animaux Malades de la Peste. Back to main text. Adieu, my dear girl. I embrace you with the warmest affection, with all your great and little party. Letter 70. Paris, Wednesday, November the 22nd, 1679. What I am going to tell you, my dear child, will both surprise and vex you. Monsieur de Pompon is out of favour. He had orders on Saturday evening, as he was returning from Pompon, to resign his office. The king has directed that he should receive 700,000 livres, and that his pension of 20,000 livres a year, which he had as minister, should be continued to him, intending by this to show that he was satisfied with his fidelity. It was Monsieur Colbert who gave him this information, assuring him at the same time that he was extremely mortified to be obliged, etc. Monsieur de Pompom asked him whether he might not be allowed the honour of speaking to the king to learn from his own mouth what fault he had committed that brought this stroke upon him. He was told he could not. So he wrote to the king expressing his extreme sorrow and his utter ignorance of what could have contributed to his disgrace. He mentioned his numerous family and besought him to have a compassion on his eight children. Immediately after, he caused the horses to be put into his carriage and returned to Paris, where he arrived at twelve at night. Monsieur de Jean, Comatin and I, had been, as I wrote you, on the Friday at Pompom, where we found him and the ladies who received us with all the pleasure imaginable. We chatted all the evening and played at chess. Ah, what a checkmate they were preparing for him at Saint-Germain. He went thither the next morning because a courier waited for him said that Monsieur Colbert, who thought to find him on Saturday evening as usual, knowing he was set out for Saint-Germain, returned instantly and nearly killed his horses. For ourselves, we did not leave Pompon till after dinner, where we left the ladies. It was necessary to inform them of what had happened by letter. This was brought by one of Monsieur de Pompon's valets, who arrived at nine on the Sunday at Madame de Vin's apartment. Reader's note, Madame de Vin is the sister of Madame de Pompon, back to main text. The man's precipitation and his altered looks made Madame de Vin fancy he had brought the account of Monsieur de Pompon's death, so that on finding that he was only disgraced, she breathed again, but she felt the extent of his misfortune, and when she was sufficiently recovered, went to acquaint her sister with it. They set out that instant, leaving all the little boys in tears, and arrived in Paris at two in the afternoon, overwhelmed with grief. You may figure to yourself this interview with Monsieur de Pompone, and what they felt on meeting each other in so different a situation from what they were in the evening before. 
I learned this sad intelligence from the Abbe de Grignon, and I confess to you it pierced me to the heart. I went to their house in the evening. They saw no company in public. I went upstairs and found them all three. Monsieur de Pompon embraced me without being able to utter a word. The ladies could not restrain their tears, nor I mine. You would have wept too, my child. It was really a melancholy spectacle. The circumstance of our quitting each other at Pompon so differently augmented our sorrows. Poor Madame de Vin, whom I left in such spirits, could hardly be recognised. A fever of a fortnight could scarcely have altered her more. She mentioned you to me, and said she was persuaded you would feel for her and Monsieur de Pompon's affliction, which I assured her you would. We spoke of the blow she felt from this disgrace, both in regard to her affairs, her situation, and her husband's fortune. I do assure you, she feels all this in its greatest horror. Monsieur de Pompon, it is true, was not a favourite, but his situation gave him an opportunity to obtain certain common things which often make our fortune. There are many inferior situations sufficient to make the fortunes of individuals. It was besides pleasant to be thus, in a manner, settled at court. What a change, what retrenching, what economy must now be made use of in his family. Eight children, and not to have had time to obtain the smallest favour. They are 30,000 livres in debt. You may suppose how little they will have left. They are going to a miserable retreat at Paris and Pompon. It is said so many journeys, and sometimes the attendance of couriers, even that of Bavaria, who arrived on the Friday and whom the king waited for with impatience, have contributed to draw this misfortune upon them. Footnote, the memoirs and letters of the co-temporary writers all agree that Monsieur de Pompon's negligence was the cause of his disgrace. The more modern historians, even Enor, keep to the received opinion. How could they fail to remark that Louis the Fourteenth, in a memorandum written in his own hand and mentioned by Voltaire, has himself explained very differently the cause of this minister's dismissal. Quote, All that passed through his hands lost the grandeur and strength it ought to have displayed as being the orders of a king of France. End quote. These are his own words. Everyone knows in reality that it was from the Treaty of Nijmegen, a single year prior to Monsieur de Pompon's disgrace, that the dominion and authority of Louis the Fourteenth, affected all over Europe, were dated. From this period, his ministers treated the foreign ambassadors with insulting arrogance. The famous Chambers of Reunion were established. Strasbourg was taken possession of by violence. Advances were made into Italy. No conciliatory measures were adopted. 
all the states were irritated. And besides, Monsieur de Pompon's having the crime of leaning toward the Jansenists, Louvois and Colbert, though enemies to each other, both laboured to ruin him. The first to replace his friend Monsieur Cotin in his situation, and the second his brother, Colbert de Croissy. The last succeeded to the great rage of Louvois. So many journeys have contributed to draw this misfortune upon them, but you will easily comprehend in this the ways of providence when I tell you the President Colbert has his place. As he is in Bavaria, his brother officiates in his absence and wrote to congratulate him, and to surprise him on the back of the letter as if by mistake, to Monsieur Colbert, Minister and Secretary of State. I paid my compliments of condolence to the unfortunate family, reflected a little on the power of this family, as well at home as abroad, and you will easily perceive it far exceeds that of the other house, where a wedding is going on. Footnote. Madeleine Charlotte Le Tellier, daughter of Monsieur Louvois, married the next day, 23rd of November, Francis, Duke of Rochefoucauld and of Rochequillon, grandson of Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld, back to main text. My poor child, this is a long and circumstantial account, but I think on such occasions we cannot be too particular. You are pleased we should always be talking to you, and in this instance I have perhaps complied with your desires too much. When your courier arrives, I shall have nowhere to send him, and it is an additional mortification to me to find that I shall henceforth be entirely useless to you. Though it is true I was already so by means of Madame de Vin. That was meant in mere jest. In short, my child, all is now at an end, and such is the way of the world. Monsieur de Pompon is better qualified than any man upon earth to support this misfortune with courage and with truly Christian resignation. Those who have acted like him in prosperity cannot fail to be pitied in their misfortunes. I must, however, add a word or two respecting your letter. It gave me real consolation. You tell me the little boy is quite recovered, and that I should be satisfied with yourself if I were to see you. Ah, my child, it is indeed true. What a delightful sight would it be to me to see you really occupied with the care of your health, by taking the necessary repose to recruit your wasted strength. It is a pleasure you have never yet afforded me. You find this care is by no means useless. You already discover its salutary effects. And if I torture myself hereby endeavours to inspire you with the same attention to your welfare, you plainly see I have good reason. End of section 21